Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. Welcome to the podcast for the October 2022 issue of BJOG. My name is Patrick Chen. In this issue, we have several articles focusing on interventions in the prevention of preeclampsia and the monitoring of fetal growth restriction. I'm also highlighting an article on the rates of induction of labor and emergency cesarean section in English maternity units. The evidence that calcium supplementation reduces the risk of developing preeclampsia is now well established, with the World Health Organization recommending that 1.5 to 2 grams daily of elemental calcium should be prescribed to pregnant women with a low dietary calcium intake from 20 weeks of gestation. This recommendation applies mainly to pregnant women in low and middle income countries. In this month's issue, Kinsella and colleagues reported the findings of the systematic review using direct and also indirect network meta-analysis to assess the effectiveness of high, which is defined as greater or equal to one gram per day, and low, less than one gram per day of calcium supplementation to prevent preeclampsia based on the dietary calcium intake, antenatal timing of commencing the supplementation, clinical risk of preeclampsia, and other co-interventions such as low-dose aspirin intake. The novel finding from this review is that both high and low-dose calcium supplementation are equally effective in preventing preeclampsia, irrespective of the presence of any of the above-mentioned scenarios, with the exception of pregnant women with a high dietary calcium intake. There are several implications from this article. Firstly, it would be preferable to administer the calcium supplementation at the lower dose in order to improve compliance due to the relatively large tablet size. Secondly, given that effect size is not altered by the timing of commencing the supplementation, the clinical risks for preeclampsia and other antenatal co-interventions for this disease There may be an argument for dietary food fortification in low- and middle-income countries, as it is likely that the average dietary intake of calcium is low, whereas targeted supplementation may be more appropriate in high-income countries. The review also reported a small increase in HELP syndrome in those women taking calcium supplementation compared to those in the placebo or not taking any supplementation group but this risk is offset with the reduction in other maternal and fetal adverse outcomes. In the accompanying mini-commentary, Fields and colleagues highlighted that the findings from this review is a good example of personalised medicine in obstetrics, whereby interventions are targeted only to those pregnant women who will benefit the most from it. The use of the ratio of maternal serum soluble FMS-like tyrosine kinase 1, also known as SFLT1, to placenta growth factor, or PIGF, has been reported for the monitoring of progression of preeclampsia. Bonacina and colleagues reported the findings of a prospective observational study using this ratio to predict for the timing of delivery in pregnancies complicated either by fetal growth restriction or small for gestational age. In this study, the timing of the delivery of the fetus was determined by clinicians based on the clinical factors alone. Using a cutoff value of SFLT1 to PIGF ratio of less than 38, 
the study reported a negative predictive value of 100% and 98% for delivery up to three and four weeks respectively following the diagnosis of small for gestational age. For fetal growth restricted pregnancies using the same cutoff value, the negative predictive value was 100% for delivery up to two weeks, whereas with a cutoff value of greater than 85, more than 50% of these pregnancies require an elective delivery within a week. The implication from this study is that those small for gestational age and fetal growth restricted pregnancies with a cutoff value of less than 38, the frequency of fetal surveillance with repeated ultrasound scans and Doppler assessments can be reduced, whereas closer follow-up is required for those pregnancies with the higher cutoff value. The main limitations with this study are the lack of blinding of the SFLT1 to PIGF ratio results to the investigators and clinicians and a small study size. None of the study subjects in the small for gestational age cohort had the SFLT1 to PIGF ratio of greater or equal than 38 and hence it is not possible to know the false positive rate. Furthermore, the cutoff values for the SFLT1 to PIGF ratio were those employed for the monitoring for the progression of preeclampsia. And these values may not be appropriate for use in predicting the time interval to delivery for small for gestational age and fetal growth restricted pregnancies. The mini commentary by Villa Lian highlighted the potential use of this test as another example of personalized antenatal management for small for gestational age and fetal growth restricted pregnancies. The recent Okenden final report on maternity services at the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust in the UK has focused attention on the quality of maternity care. The publication of this report prompted Guru Yuganchi and colleagues to evaluate the rates of induction of labour and emergency caesarean section over a two-year period across at least 69% of all the hospitals in England providing maternity services. This study reported that the rates of induction of labour and emergency caesarean section varied at least by a factor of two and three respectively across these hospitals. The authors also assessed the association between these rates with three adverse perinatal outcomes. Stillbirth, admission to neonatal unit, and the need for the babies to receive mechanical ventilation. The study showed that women who delivered in hospitals with a higher rate of induction of labor had lower risk of stillbirth and their babies requiring mechanical ventilation. This association was not observed for the rates of emergency caesarean section. The findings suggest that efforts should be made into developing safer methods of induction of labor without compromising the birthing experience for pregnant women. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.